Time to welcome in David Locke right now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We are doing well. How are you? I'm great. I was just, I have a question for you guys, football. I was just listening to a Locked On podcast, and the guy, Old Smith, was talking about the SEC and how everyone's gone to this 3-2-6 defense, and it's causing recruiting issues because there just aren't that many athletes that fit it. Um, and it's all in reaction, obviously, to Alabama and what Nick Saban's done. Is that true for Utah and BYU as well? Uh, Kyle has said that they are sticking primarily with a four-two-five. So, I guess the answer would be no. Okay, and then my second question was: Does BYU have to change schemes because of the personnel of the Big Twelve, or is it just not that good a conference? So I don't worry about it. PK, you want to handle that one? Yeah, I think that's to be decided because I think that there's a lot of unknowns. You know, I've talked the coaches that they're aware of all the stuff that they have to be prepared for because that's what they're recruiting for right now today. And obviously, if you go on missions, these kids are going to be playing in the Big Twelve. They won't even experience life as an independent. So there's I don't want to say unknowns. But there's a lot of stuff out there that they have to be prepared for, and they're doing their best to prepare for it. But yet, a lot of, in some situations, you, you know, you can prepare. It's like Bronco used to say, I would always think that, okay, this is how the game is going to be played, a particular game given that week. And I learned, then when I get in the game, the stuff that I thought – yeah, that's partially true, but then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I need to be prepared for that I don't even know what it is, but yet I've still got to prepare for it. And I think that's what BYU is going to face. I think the league is going to be a pretty good football league, particularly when you factor in the new schools. I think we're te- we tend to look at the Big 12. Oh, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, so who do you have? You have Oklahoma State, you have Baylor, and then you have a bunch of maybe on a given year, Texas Tech might be good, Kansas State might be good, Iowa State might be good, and that might be all true, but I also think this got to factor in the schools that they're bringing in, and right now, two or three of those schools are really good in football, so I actually think it's going to be a difficult adjustment, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that they need to be aware of, and some of the stuff they don't even know right now that they need to be aware of it. I think all that's true, David, and I think the other thing is that the traditional you're a line you're a defensive lineman you're a linebacker you're a safety you're a corner that's been blurred for a while and it's been blurred at Utah and BYU because they were in the same league uh, with New Mexico and in the case of BYU they were playing San Diego State uh, well, I guess Utah did too this year. And so these schools that have a history of playing the three-three-five, and Bronco did this when he was at BYU. Uh, they they have you know they have all kinds of different names at different schools, the Roverback or whatever. But basically, what you have is someone who has a combo skills of a linebacker and a strong safety. You're good against the run, but you've got the speed to play in coverage. You basically have to find the the Kristaps Porzingis unicorn type player where you can cover a receiver in the slot. The tight ends are morphing into receivers. So do you match up with a tight end? So you have to find these guys with unique skill sets. You can call them whatever position you want, and you can say you've got 
you know, six defensive backs or four or five. But what you really have is a guy who's fast enough to cover in space, but can also play the run and take on a bigger blocker and shed him and make a play. All right, my final question. This guy was really interesting. His other thing was about recruiting. He said, hey, five-star recruits, any of us could go to any high school game anywhere in the country, see a five-star recruit, it'll be abundantly obvious to us. Three and four-star recruits is all a joke. It has to do with whether the coach understands how to use the player in their system. Are team systems that different from one to another that's accurate? Oh, yes, systems could be different. I think the bigger thing in assessing high school kids is how much talent they have around them because with open enrollment, kids transferring, elite private schools in some portions of the country, not so much here but in other places, you see high school teams that are totally loaded and it makes everybody, especially the quarterback, look better than they are when the talent is even. I think that's a big part of the Jake Heap story. His high school team is loaded. Oh, interesting. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Now to the Utah Jazz. It Next is, week I get my Rose Bowl preview, right? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> it has not been a uh, glorious stretch because Jazz fans look at an eight-game win streak and think that's great, but as soon as the two losses come, they overshadow the other eight. But you look at how the Suns and the Warriors are winning. <laughs> if you're not playing each other, and with a lot of teams around 500 – the only way for the elite teams to really remind their fan base we're great is to put a long string of wins together, isn't it? Until they play each other head-to-head? Yeah, I mean, Phoenix is really great right now, and I'm not surprised by this at all. I, in my preseason predictions, I had Phoenix a considerable notch above everyone else in the West, and I actually think that they are a considerable notch above everyone else in the West right now. They're really they're, they're playing great basketball. They're dominating. They're, they're hammering people. They're not relenting. They're, they're really impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you also, like, you know, right, like, we use 538 or one of these other metrics. So the Utah Jazz play, you know, Minnesota on Wednesday, on Thursday, and what is our chance of winning? 70, 70%, you think? 75%? Right? Wouldn't that probably be the number? It's high. But if your chance to win 70% of the time, you lose a bunch. Then, you know, particularly we're having a tendency to go put ourselves into a position in which the game, the sample size of the game gets smaller and smaller, and then some pretty wild plays have come back to get us here recently, and they'll go the other way eventually. But, um, you know, that's, that's it. Right? You just, yeah, I guess you can, it's pretty unusual to go win eight or nine or ten in a row. You have to be pretty dominant. And so we're seeing the Warriors and the Suns and the Jazz do it, but it's a pretty hard task to live that one. Yeah, I've always felt that for sure. Once you get over 10, I've been impressed with every win streak. I think it's re- extremely hard to do. A couple of things that have we've seen with the Jazz as far as the games is uh, losing big leads. Uh, is that anything that can be concerned about, or is it virtually just life in the NBA so it's going to happen? Can I go with both on that, PK? Because, I mean, Terry was here the other night hits three straight threes, right? If now that our, yeah. everyone's playing threes, Suddenly, if you haven't scored on two possessions, that's a 9-0 run, and then there's all sorts of momentum. And so I think that is part of the NBA. I do think that we're that we are a little culpable, though. I think there's a tendency to relax. I have my personal thing that I think I see every night, but this is becoming. If I'm really honest about my own analysis, I think a little bit this is becoming that it's just my hot button, and now I think I see it all the time. Right? We, we, you know, you can decide whatever it is in life. 
you know, so-and-so can't drive, and then every time you see a bad driver, you forget about the 73 good ones you saw, and you just say, oh, look, they can't drive. You know, so my thing about us is that we have so many offensive players. It's why we're the best offensive team in the league. So this is a good and a bad, but there just are not enough possessions to go around. And I just feel like at some point when we get ahead, at some point in the game, we get a little bit my turny. And when we get my turny, the ball stops moving. And when we do that, then other guys are frustrated because somebody just played my turn in our defense. And we just lose our edge. So that's that's my take on where it is. I don't actually have a problem with it. I kind of think it's real and um, understandable, and I don't think it's selfish or anything of that sort. The fact of the matter is that most of the guys on our roster have been valued throughout life by how many points they score per game, and they're used to that, and they still want to do that. And, um, you know, nobody wants to run up. Nobody goes to play basketball. Everyone loves hoops, but nobody goes to play basketball to run up and down the floor four times and play defense and not touch the ball. And so when that happens, after a few minutes, you go take your shot, whether it's entirely in the flow of the offense or not. I guess the thing I'm always seeing in games is that the Jazz, when they lose the edge, maybe it's because they are my tourney, and, and so it, they lose the edge a little bit. When they start giving up rebounds and they start giving up transition points and they start giving up 30 and 35-point quarters, I'm thinking that's the only way you guys are going to get beat. You are so good offensively that if you just hold people to 100, 105 points, really anything under 110, you're going to win. It's the same thing that's happened to the Suns. They're undefeated when they hold teams under 110 points. So if you just play defense, you're going to be fine. And if you don't get caught with the second shots and the transition buckets, people aren't going to score on you because of Rudy and everybody else is pressing up on the three-point line. It seems like a pretty simple recipe because they're so good, but it seems like a recipe that they just can't cook up. Yeah, I mean, we're not as dominant. Last year, we just didn't lose lead. I think we were, what, 41-4 and four if we let going in the fourth or something crazy. Um, you know, maybe even 41-2. and two. Um, And you didn't lose at home, and you didn't lose below 500 teams. That's all because you're an elite defensive team, right? But when you're an elite defensive team, you come out and you just beat people like that. We were an elite defensive team against Charlotte the other night. You know, that was – it was interesting, you know – the numbers are crazy. We had the third best shot quality we've had in any game all year long at Charlotte. Just didn't make it. So this is that's the turn. That's what you're looking for. That's the little. And it's not toughness. I don't like that. I don't really like that phrase because I don't really know what it means. But there is an element where you can be difficult to play. And I thought last year we were really difficult to play. We have been for a while. I'm not sure this year we're as. Like, I don't think you feel like you're getting pounded quite the same way by us as you did. You know, maybe it's the onslaught of offense and you're just like, holy crap. Like, I guess those teams that lost by 20 sure didn't feel like that was a lot of fun. Um, so maybe that's not fair. But it, there's, a, there's a level where I just felt like teams are getting to kind of play their game against us and it works better than them in beating them. Where in some years past, I felt like teams were blown out of their game and they couldn't play the way they wanted to and they looked uncomfortable all night and then we blew them out. And there's a little subtle difference to that. I might be totally fabricating that in my head. I agree with you on the Suns, thinking that they right now are the best team in the West, which would probably most likely put them the best team in the NBA. And watching them, I saw them watch the uh, play against the Lakers the entire game, and, and I definitely think they're better than last year. I'm wondering, what does Phoenix have that the Jazz don't? Maybe Chris Paul right now. 
unbelievable veteran leadership. Like, we don't, don't think we have that. People would assume Mike Conley. So what's the difference? Um, that's not Mike's personality at all um, to do that. I mean, that's just not that's just not who he is. So that would be the. I mean, that's just not Mike's not that guy. That's where Chris Paul uh, has an edge to him, which makes him unlikable for a lot of fans. But that's a really part important part of the equation in Phoenix right now. Sorry, say that again. I didn't hear you. I, I wondered specifically what you were getting at and the difference in the two. I said Chris Paul has an edge to him, and people see it in the game, and I think it's why a lot of people don't like Chris Paul. And maybe sometimes why his teammates don't like Chris Paul. But is that edge that he has a really important part of the equation in Phoenix right now? Yeah, I think it's everything. I think that's what Chris Paul is doing right now is dominating – the culture of that team and their following. You saw when Devin Booker went out that they just stayed in that mode, in that mode, in that mode the whole way. It's, it's really awesome. And I didn't know if it was going to hold this year because of what you're talking about. Every team that's ever had Chris Paul the second year hate him so much that they don't play hard. This has been the exact opposite. Whatever Monty Williams, whatever De- they're doing. And Mikel Bridges is better. Aiton's better. And Devin Booker's better this year. They're, they're loaded. When PK was selling uh, the Suns earlier in the show about how good they are, even though they're close with the Warriors record-wise, they're the best team. One thing he went to was the acquisition of uh, of McGee, and that really he's in a Hassan Whiteside role where big production in limited minutes, but having that second big to run in there, most teams can't match up with it. It becomes a big advantage. We saw that earlier in Favors' career when he was healthy and he was just feasting on second-string centers. We're seeing some of that with Whiteside, and is Phoenix really benefiting from that as well? You know, Phoenix, here's the one that I'm really surprised by on Phoenix is that, you know, if you look at their numbers last year, Dario Saric was vital to their success. And if you look over the last few years, when Chris Paul has been at his absolute best has been when, um, is when he has um, been able to play with a small, like Danilo Gallinari has been, um, was the, was the uh, number one pick and roll combo, and I think Dario Saric was the number one pick and roll combo the year, the next year. So those two circumstances, and they don't have that this year. Kaminsky actually was playing really well, but now he's out, Saric is out. So I, I've been surprised that that hasn't hurt them at all. Yeah, I, I think that uh, McGee gives him a, a certain element that they didn't have from the defensive standpoint. I think they're a lot like the Jazz in terms of their offense. I mean, they can really light it up, but they needed somebody who's going to do the junkyard dog stuff, and those other two guys are more finesse guys where McGee is more of a banger, and so I think that's that's been the difference, uh, or not the difference, but it's been a difference that has allowed them to be better. I mean, that's just my observation, so take it for what it's worth. So there's something going on in the league right now, though, from a big-picture standpoint, that bigs who dunk have become more important than ever before. Um, So the new rule changes and the trends of the league a little bit are the following. So guys are getting a free-throw line less. You've heard about all that. Free-throws are down. So, So, you know, Bradley Beal is taking eight free throws a game, suddenly taking four. Guys who are taking six are taking three. Trey Young's taking, you know, five. And so their efficiency is way down. 
because of that. Then part two of it is that rim shots are down. The amount of shots being taken at the rim are, are way down just because of the Brook Lopez defense and Milwaukee and what everyone's doing. And so the next – so what that has done is meant that rim shot the free throw, the lack of free throws makes rim shots actually more important because they're so efficient. And then the lack of rim shots overall is making bigs who can actually get to the basket and dunk way more important. So if you look at teams that are surprising this year and playing better than everyone thought they would, they all have that guy, Jared Allen in Cleveland – JaVel McGee is now that guy we're talking about in, in Phoenix. And it's really, you know, if you start looking at the Lakers, what they're badly missing, it's what the Clippers are missing, Zubak's not doing as well as others. So those type of players are really, really important right now and are overvalued, are, are have more value than anyone realized in the league. They're the money ball play right now in the league. Yeah. He's David Locke. David, we want to hit you with a question of the day. All right. Best sports-oriented Christmas gift you've given or received? Maybe that, like, vibrating football game that we had when we were kids. Or the Mattel Electronic very first ever, like, handheld video game. I'm going old school. That is old school. When I was a kid, uh, my... uh, my grandparents, and I don't know why, because it did not, it did not, and I guess it was because of us. It was one of those things where my grandparents got a gift that was really for us. But do you remember the hockey game and the players? You put the players on the metal peg and you had the handle and you moved them up. It's oh, yeah. kind of like yeah, yeah. foosball, except you were off the end of uh-huh. the, behind the uh-huh. goal. Strong. Yeah, yeah. They, they got that, and I went, there's, yeah, I went nuts on that thing. Yeah. I played that That's thing. Strong. You know, I love electronic football, but I don't know why. I could never really figure out how to play it, but it sure was fun. It was loud. It was great. <laughs> it was loud. Thank you, David. We appreciate it. Merry Christmas. All right. Appreciate it. Here's David Locke, his weekly visit right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined right now by Representative Steve Eliasson. Joining us to talk about the road home, the Holiday Radiothon is underway. You can make a donation right now by calling 801-819-7300, or you can go online at theroadhome.org. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So you have been a fixture at the road home for a long time. How did you bond with the road home? What did they, what did they say or do? What did you see or hear that made you think, I really need to uh, invest my time in this place? Great question. I was actually uh, a Boy Scout, and our, our our scoutmaster took us down to feed the homeless under Four South, and we had to go into the shelter to get some water or something. And you know, it was kind of like Buddha being let out of the temple. I'm like, wow, there's there's a lot of uh, you know people being helped here. And then in high school, I did a, a service project with uh, the Road Home. And then just found an opportunity to get involved with the uh, a committee and volunteer. And I, I, I think I've been on the board for pushing involved one way or another for 20 years. So I've, I've had a front row seat to the great work they do helping people step out of homelessness and back into our community. People hear the road home and I think they think of the building, which is no longer standing, and they think of emergency overnight services. There's been a big trend towards supportive housing in that. What are the changes you've seen in the last 20 years? And the people who are donating, how are they going to be helping these changes? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the Road Home, uh, of course, has emergency shelter. Uh, last night, there were nearly 900 people in emergency shelter, which was 
about 100 more than the night before. Um, but they help people step out of homelessness and back into the community in, in terms of housing vouchers, uh, permanent supportive housing, uh, wraparound case services. And so last year, they helped uh, nearly 4,500 people. And a really interesting fact is that about um, 96% of the people that they help get into housing stay housed and don't come back to the shelter. And that's uh, a lot of people when they see maybe somebody on the street, that's kind of what they think of when they think of the homeless. And, And that's a component of it. But a lot of times it's the family who just, you know, lost their apartment and can't afford a new one. Uh, don't have, you know, family nearby. The road home is a place that can help them uh, bridge that gap between the streets and a home they can call their own. I'm curious the long-term impact we're making on the homeless. And as a guy who's been involved in state government for a long time as a state representative, how do you measure that? How much do you hold the service providers accountable? And how much do you look at what's happening in a society, whether it's veterans, addiction issues, kids? I think this is wildly underestimated by the public, but the number of kids aging out of foster care every year, and there's surveys that say about half of them are going to end up homeless. Those are also issues that have to be addressed. And just looking at the service provider you're not getting the whole point and you're not addressing the whole issue. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. It's an issue legislatively that I've worked on for years and have a bill this coming session to continue to try to improve uh, services for uh, people in homelessness. So so often these individuals have had a a, a difficult background in terms of uh, trauma, addiction, and mental health issues. And the road home uh, tries to successfully connect many of those individuals to those types of services that help get to some of the root causes behind homelessness. Um, the you know some people say, well, this is just you know uh, maybe their fault, and so we're not going to help them. But the reality is, is that as I've sat down with many homeless people over the years, I'll, I'll give you one example. <clears throat> Myself and Governor Cox, Lieutenant Governor at the time, went out and just. Uh, visited with homeless people. We didn't tell them who we were. And we met a young man staying in the shelter who was, he was a teenager and his father had uh, a mental illness and disappeared, uh, no mother around. And it was a December night, you know, single digit temperatures and he, he sought shelter and connection to resources. So it's, it's effectively the safety net of society. We have a long ways to go in terms of improving mental health resources, uh, addressing domestic violence. There's a lot of things to do. It is one of the most complex issues I've ever uh, engaged in. Um, but it doesn't mean that we stop trying. And in the meantime, uh, Road Home gives people hope and uh, a hand up instead of just a hand out to help them um, you know, first seek housing and all those other resources to the extent they're willing to uh, address some of those other difficult issues they face. And you can support The Road Home online right now with a donation at theroadhome.org, or you can call 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. The Huntsman Foundation is matching donations up to $1 million, so whatever you give will be doubled, 801-819-7300. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Take care. DJ and PK. Prepping for the holidays, zero res can help you clean up. 
Before and after the festivities, keep your carpets clean well into 2022. Give us a jingle by calling 801-288-9376 or booking online at 0ressaltlake.com or if you're up north at 0ressdavisweber.com. Question of the morning. Who's giving or getting Rose Bowl tickets for Christmas? What are some of the better sports-related gifts you've given or received over the years? Yeah, what's the best sports gift you've given, honey? She doesn't really want sports gifts. So what? <laughs> Here, honey. Here's a glove. Here's a basketball. <laughs> the kind of stuff I used to give my parents when I was a kid. Hey, Mom, you want a baseball glove? <laughs> it doesn't fit you? I'll take it. Thanks. <laughs> she can go out to a bees game, and you never know. You might catch a foul ball. You got to be prepared. Hilarious. <laughs> Now, your wife is a much bigger sports fan. Best Christmas gift you've given her? Like, give her uh, golf clubs or something? She's a big golfer. Best Christmas gift? Yeah, I can't really discuss that on the air. Best sports-related Christmas (laughs) gift. Can't discuss it because I don't want to hear it. (laughs) You you didn't say best sports. Second reference, it was implied. You're a writer. You know You know all about that. That's why you laughed harder. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm trying to think. You know, she's way into golf. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's been a, an area that has allowed me to not have as much headache as far as, oh, my gosh, what am I going to get this year? You know, because it's always, what are you going to get her? Uh, I, because I have z- like zero, zero fashion taste whatsoever. I'm with you. That's a real trouble area to step into. I've tried. It doesn't go that well. Yeah, I know. She plays along, but we both know I ruined Christmas for everybody. So I got to the point where I used to go to the mall and just, I'm, I mean, like dreading it. I'd rather mm-hmm. a root, root canal. Yeah. And go to the mall what am i gonna do and just walk you know it's 90 minutes into it and i haven't gotten a thing and all i'm doing is wasting time and uh, i hate doing that uh unless i you know if i'm enjoying what i'm doing then i'm okay wasting time but if i'm not enjoying what i'm doing i don't like to waste time right so i used to just this is ridiculous just pick up some stuff and make sure you have the receipts because you're going to take it back anyway Right. So don't stress over it. Get something. Oh, this sweater looks nice. I mean, it may look like just like the worst things ever to her. But to me, what the heck? So but anyway, I've been able to get some golf apparel or golf related gifts that has really eased the burden uh, for me. So that has been a blessing that I can do that or whatever it might be. There's all sorts of accessories that you can get. Yep. And I think this year she's going to open like a, a – I got her some some stuff beyond golf. Uh, but I've got her some – just some golf accessories to put on your bag or whatever. And that's helped. Okay, so for next year or maybe for her birthday when it comes up. Or maybe you use it for, you know, one of the other holidays, anniversary gift, Valentine's Day, whatever. That – course that they uh the quarterback competition they had up in montana that we're all fascinated by last summer yeah yeah i got you yeah take a trip up there play that course that'd be awesome experiences over things pk anytime you can shift a gift to an experience over a thing you two road tripping to montana in the summer and playing that course that'd be a good time okay and i've done that 
on that course or other places? No, 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 not on that one, no. I've never actually been to Montana, Uh, but I have done that. You can't do it this time of year, obviously. Her birthday's in the summer. Uh, The one year I did, arranged an entire trip to uh, Palm Springs, and it was super cool because literally on her birthday, so we're going to fly out the morning of her birthday, right? We got like a 6.30 flight, and I set it up to have it go through Phoenix. And I set it up to have like a two-hour layover. And I did that on purpose because then I got in touch with her mother, and I said, hey, here's the deal. Uh, We'll come out past security and meet us at this one particular restaurant. We'd been to Phoenix Airport 100 times, right? And so it was all set up. She said, that's a great idea. So she did it literally on her birthday. And we walk in and um, they go to seat. I said, and I told the gal, somebody's already waiting for us. And my wife didn't know it. So we walk up to the seat, our table, where we're going to have breakfast because we've got time. And there's my mother-in-law sitting there. And it was awesome. Winner. Yeah, the two of them. So my mother-in-law got to see my wife on her birthday. And my wife was totally unprepared, surprised for it, 100%. You're the hero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really proud of myself for doing that. And then we flew out. We still got into Palm Springs by, you know, like uh, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning because it was so early. And when we were walking towards security, I knew my mother-in-law would slip me a something, you know, a little something. something, something. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and a payday. Not a kid. <laughs> Because my mother-in-law had a huge heart for her daughter. I, I don't I don't think that I've ever been around someone and watched them love a child the way my mother-in-law loved my wife. I can I can honestly say that. There are times she drove me nuts, but not too bad. But the love, especially now that she's deceased and you know that this portion is over, I've been able to reflect upon that and the love that she showed her daughter was just what uh, a classic example of what a parent should feel about her child to the point the child could do no wrong under any circumstance, uh, which was and not that my wife was doing wrong on, under circumstances anyway, so it didn't really matter. But that that was that was a great and it worked well because my my wife's birthday's in June. Right. So that was that was pretty awesome. Who's giving getting Rose Bowl tickets for Christmas? What are some of your better sports related gifts over the years? Robbie says, I'm surprised my kids on I'm surprising my kids on Christmas Day with Rose Bowl tickets. They are going to freak. Three ex, three exclamation points. I can't yeah. wait to see the look on their faces. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's so obvious this year. The Rose Bowl, the granddaddy. I mean, come on. This is something that's going to be along the Wasatch Front on Christmas morning. I don't think that he's going to be the only one doing it. It just screamed, this is what we're going to do. Parents everywhere are thinking if your kid is any form of a Ute fan, this would be the ultimate. This is the greatest game they've ever played in. This will be the best moment. All that stuff. And I don't think it's any uh, hyperbole by me saying that. No, I don't. Because I've been saying it for years that once the Utes experienced it, it would be incredible. So I, because I did it and I talked about it 
And when the time came and we knew it was going to come at some point, I actually think it came quicker than I thought it was going to come, which is why it's the best accomplishment that this football program has ever done. Recognizing, yeah, I'm 100% Pac-10, Pac-12 bias. I get that. Everybody's got biases. I don't claim that I don't have biases because I think that's ridiculous. But having been there on that day, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be spectacular. So I think there's going to be a lot of people doing it. I understand that uh, the weather forecast leading up, uh, is a lot of rain. Hopefully, when we get to that day, that we're done with that stuff. That would be good. The rare rainy Rose Bowl. That was, that would not be good. It's yeah, happened, yeah. but it doesn't happen very often. I must block those memories out because I don't recall doing that. I'm sure it has. I mean, statistically, it's got to do it at some point. But I was just looking this morning. I was looking in the Daily Breeze on their website, and they're talking about a whole bunch of storms coming here in the next couple of days, lasting through Christmas and going into next week. Now, we still are a decent way away, away from the actual game of January 1st, so it's hard to predict that far out. But between now and then, leading up to then, it seems like there's a fair amount of rain so I'm hoping that uh, that bodes well, that when we get to the actual January 1st, that there's no rain and it's a sunny day. I mean, the parade and everything, come on. It's history, man. It's, it's, it's tradition, I should say. It's, it's part of what, uh, what we look for. At least I do. I look forward to the parade and I look forward to the game every single year. U State Iceman just tweeted at us. Jack Dunbar, he says, I gave her a Utah State football jersey that had her name on the back of it. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I've gotten a couple jerseys over the years as gifts. I got a Ladanian Tomlinson when he was setting the NFL uh, oh, yeah. records left and yeah. right. And I got a Junior Seau when he was at the top of his game. That boy, as popular, as popular athletes go in San Diego, now Junior Seau, because he went to high school in San Diego, went up to USC, came back to the Chargers, wildly popular. I mean, there, there aren't many people. Like, Tony Gwynn's the guy. He's the guy, but man, Junior would be 1A. They would, they would probably be the two most popular. And there have been a lot, of, a lot of popular athletes through there, but they're, they're right at the top. Well, and then the, I'm hoping Honey's listening. She needs to get you a Tony <laughs> Gwynn jersey. You already got the second most. Now we need to get the most. If Tony is the most popular San Diego State sports figure, then you need to you need to have a Tony Gwynn jersey, Mister Padre. Absolutely, no question about it. Yak, let's pitch in and get him a, a next year. Get him a, a Tony Gwynn jersey. We could probably accomplish that. Now we we just have to. Do you want the more modern, where they incorporated blue, or do you want the brown and say, yellow? <laughs> I, I think I know the answer to this question. What would the answer be, Yak? I think it's the brown and yellow. <laughs> Am I wrong? Bring the Brown back was wildly popular this what year. What about you, though? But the thing about Tony, I, I do like the Brown more, but Tony didn't play in the Brown era. Well, maybe he did. Maybe like his first two years he did. And then he would have worn the, uh, the blue pinstripes most of his career. So I, I would be thrilled with either, to be honest, though. Oh, for sure. Tony I mean, Tony Gwynn. Like, I mean, Tony's the man. I mean, I watched him yeah. play college basketball at San Diego State. Uh, so that was, that was a good time. Yeah, and he stayed loyal to the team. Oh, yeah. I, I actually got my wife a Padre jersey, the ones that they wear on Sunday, mm-hmm. the military ones, the yeah. home Sunday the games. the camouflage. And she was talking about how she liked it. One time I had a game on, and we were watching it on a Sunday. And she said, oh, that looks really cool. So I went and got it. <laughs> when, uh, when I was a kid, 
it started early. The, the, the stadium, when it was built, they've torn it down now, but when it was built, it, it seated for like 48,000, I think, for baseball. And then it got bumped up to 60 and then again to 70 as they enlarged it and closed it a couple times. But even at 48,000, that was always for football, right? And then baseball played along and eventually got their own stadium. So if you went on a Sunday afternoon, they would have one section of Marines and one section from the uh, Navy uh, recruiting depot, I guess. And they would have a full section on the loge level down each line. It would stand out because there'd be nobody around them, but they would be packed in. They didn't get to spread out at all. It was very much, you know, it's the military. So there's a, there's a butt in every seat and every row. And when you're a little kid, those are, you know, grown adults, right? Those are, those are grown men. And PK, I went to a game in the new stadium with my kid when he was, I don't know, five, six, seven, whatever he was. He was young. And we walked to go to concessions or bathrooms or something in between innings. And the, the uh, Marines were going out and they were getting like a hot dog and a soda. And they just went down the line and, and grabbed it, right? It was all set up for them. And as we walked by, I'm like, those kids are like 18, 19 years old. <laughs> Those are kids. Oh, I see where you're going. My perspective yeah. has completely changed. They were always the same age. The kids going through the recruiting depot are always the same age. But when I walked by, I was like, you're just a kid. And earlier in my life, I'd be like, you're a grown adult. You scare me. <laughs> yeah, I got you. All right, DJ and PK, we got a whole list of ideas. You need ideas. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James, Facebook, DJ and PK. More later in the show, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is unripe. Guys are doing a hell of a job. Joe Rabinowitz from the Columbus Dispatch covering the Ohio State Buckeyes. What matters is the playoffs. And if you're not in the playoffs, everything else is kind of an afterthought. But if you're not going to be in the playoffs, and look, only four teams are in it. There are a lot of consolation prizes. If you have to have one of the consolation prizes, this is the best one to have if you're an Ohio State fan or a Big Ten fan. Because there is something still special about just saying you're going to Pasadena, you're going to play in that Rose Bowl. There's so much history, so much tradition with that. And, and for most of Ohio State's existence, playing and winning in the Rose Bowl was the ultimate. Unbelievable! Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. This week's Raider game against the Broncos is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. Had David Locke on earlier this morning. If you missed it, you can get it wherever. We actually talked a little football with him before we talked a lot of basketball. Wherever you get your podcasts. If you missed Joe Ingles yesterday, wherever you get your podcasts, check it out. Uh, Yak, how many places are these podcasts available now? <laughs> what, what's like the list up to now? How You're long, the one who posts it. How long do we got here? Go ahead. Hit me. Give people our options. All Apple devices, Apple Podcasts, you got Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast app. They're, it's everywhere. It's out there. Yeah. Uh, the Jazz are playing Minnesota tomorrow night, and then they play Dallas Saturday night. That 8.30 game could be switched. If another game is canceled, then they could slide that Jazz game into another TV time spot earlier in the day. So if you've got tickets, you'll have to stay tuned to – Figure out how that's going. The commissioner let that out. You know, PK, you said earlier this morning uh, at, in reaction to Adam Silver saying that uh, they're not looking at shutting down the league. And you got to ask that question because the NHL has stopped things. And I'm not convinced that the NHL isn't uh, playing a little bit of politics here. 
because they're also not sending their players now to China for the Olympics. So maybe they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll stop for a week here. We've had some teams with issues. and we'll, See, it's too big an issue, and we just can't do it. So that could be their thing. And obviously basketball doesn't have to send players to the Winter Olympics in the middle of the season. They don't have the same deal there. But you, know, you said that Silver doing a, a kind of a Republican thing there when he said, we have to learn to live with it. How much do you trust people to get off the position that they staked out 21 months ago based on their political thoughts? Because we are going to have to live with it at some point. It doesn't seem to be going away. You can live with it by sitting at home and never going anywhere. But the commissioner is also talking about a league where 97% of the people are reportedly vaccinated. And I think in Utah, we're high 50s or maybe we're 60% vaccinated. So do you think people are ever going to get off the positions they've staked out, you have the gut instinct. You have the Jersey oh, man, instinct for deep. people's behavior. Well, it is a Republican <laughs> thing to say, hey, we have to learn to live with this. It is, quote unquote, a Democratic thing, which none of this fits because I think 40% of Republicans in a survey I saw said they weren't going to get vaccinated. Well, that means 60% are. So none of this stuff is cut and dried. But in the screaming environment we live in, you know, that kind of nuance <laughs> doesn't, doesn't get covered. But as long as 40% of the people aren't vaccinated, well, that's different than making decisions in an NBA environment where 3% of the players aren't vaccinated or whatever the number is now. That story I saw was from a couple weeks ago. It may have moved a little bit, but at 97%, they're obviously way more vaccinated than the public at large. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what's that mean? It's If they're vaccinated, it's safer for them. There's still breakthroughs, so it's not 100% safe, but it's safer for them to move around and quote-unquote live life. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a scientist in the least degree. I know, but we've all seen the reports that the numbers, whether it's eight or ten times less likely to get sick or to get hospitalized or to die. I got it. I I know work said you had to have it, but I was going to do it irregardless. Irregardless. I'm on board, uh, even though I don't understand anything. <laughs> I know, right. How is this like the polio vaccine? I'm not exactly the right guy to ask. Yeah, yeah. I got, I've got no clue on that. But, I mean, I think that these leagues and commissioners, we saw last year with the college football, oh, we can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out you could. And, and I don't necessarily have a problem with people making uh, declarative statements. We talked about, about Bruce Arians yesterday. One more. More screw up with Antonio Brown. And he's, and gone. he's gone. We've got oh, one more screw up. Well, <laughs> Godwin tore his ACL though, and for yeah. out for at least the regular season. Right. Yeah. So Antonio, get out there. Right. I mean, he's a really good player. And then what's your your mission statement? You know, you're trying to win games, and money's involved, and. So the clock is ticking on Tom Brady, allegedly. We believe allegedly. it would, to one degree or another it is. So you factor in all those situations there, and I'm okay with people changing their minds. And I don't th- You're going to say, oh, they're hypocritical. Uh, yeah, yeah, the line starts over here for uh, hypocritical, and it goes all the way to Tara Hutt, to, to quote. Yeah, but uh, you know, the, the other thing is that like, if you get new information, you get to have a new opinion. And we're constantly getting new information, especially about this situation. I mean, yeah, this is our uh, first Whether the pandemic. information is accurate, I don't know. Right. Well, that's part of getting new information. Hey, what I learned here and I thought was inaccurate, I now know it is accurate. I trust this information more than I did six months ago. Or conversely, well, I trust this information less than I did a few months ago because now I've learned X, Y, Z. 
Okay, maybe so. Uh, bottom line with Adam Silver here saying they're going to forge ahead, I support it 100% because there's so many folks that rely on this stuff. I mean, we got we got livelihoods at stake, and I'm not talking about the players exclusively by any stretch because they could probably withstand it. We had Joe Ingles, Joe Ingles yesterday. His and bank account talking. is yeah. fine, yeah. Right, I mean, as it should be, right? Unless you're just right. totally uh, irresponsible there with your money. a lot of people yeah. employed by clubs who have a yes. lot of different jobs. Or and even if they're not employed by clubs, the restaurants near the arenas and stuff. Yep. The parking attendants, mm-hmm. the the guys at the bottom level, which that's where I came from, the bottom level, man. There's, there's a lot of per diem jobs. Yeah, uh, the, the people who clean the arena. People that clean that the was arena. who that's we were. One. And they need jobs, man. So you cannot take this lightly. You also can't take it irresponsibly either, too. So I support the NBA and whatever league trying to forge ahead to see what they could do. And then if if it's a month down the road or it's whatever down the road and you need to decide, hey, we need to take a change of action, okay, don't box yourself into a corner now and say we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and that's the way it is. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And one thing I've learned as I've gotten older is I never say I'm going to do this or that until <laughs> I actually get to that point where I've got to make a decision. Okay, am I going to do this or am I going to do that's, that? That's a Kevin O'Connor. Line. I was asking, and I don't even know what player it was about picking up an option because it was clear to me they were going to pick up an option, but it was like four months away. And he said, No, I'm not going to do it yet. I don't have to. The deadline right. was September, October, whatever it was. And he said, And I said, oh, He says, You know, I generally agree with you, but have you ever heard of? And he named an athlete who'd been in an in a auto motorcycle wreck. And he said, What happens if that happens in six weeks? Where am I then? And they ended up picking up the option like a week before the deadline. Well, I always so thought it, that, but he didn't. Get I always thought Stockton's part. option was going to get picked <laughs> it up. Wasn't Stockton? Oh, okay. I don't remember who it was, but it was. Speaking of vaccine, but we don't want to go down that road. Too late. We already did. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it up. All right, DJ PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. We are joined now by Rhonda Greenwood, board member at the Road Home, the Radiothon, the Holiday Mediathon continues right now. The Huntsman Foundation is matching donations up to one million dollars, and you can make a donation on the phone at 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. Or online at theroadhome.org. Pick up the phone, 801-819-7300, or go online at theroadhome.org. Rhonda, I am curious, uh, you're buying. As a board member, you've bought in at a pretty high level here. You're all in on the road home. How come? You know what? Hey, thanks so much for letting me come on this morning and tell people why I do trust the Road Home so much. You know, I'm really proud to be a board member. I've observed them, worked with them for a number of years on their board and just as a volunteer. And I can tell you, they're so professional and the people are so compassionate in working with people who are homeless. And and they use best industry practices. They're always right on top of the latest uh, trends in, in this industry. And every year, they receive a five-star rating, which is the best rating, from Charity Navigator, which is an independent financial auditing firm that audits nonprofits. And so they're an organization that really has their act together. And, and then 
what do they do for the homeless? Well, you know what? Every day the road home serves approximately 900 people with emergency shelter and over 1,500 people in housing. And so the road home is not just about providing that immediate emergency shelter for people who need a place, and but they also provide counseling, hold people's hands, and take them through a process and connect those people with resources in the community so they can get to more permanent housing. And that's the whole solution for ending homelessness is getting people the services they need, helping them turn their lives around and getting them into a situation where they'll live in a space that they can afford and can manage and they can manage their lives. So it's such important work that I'm just just so deeply impressed by the people and the work that they do. And they have such a positive um, impact on the community. You know, homelessness is just keeps um, growing in Utah and across the country, it is a huge, a huge, huge issue. And I wanted to be a part of that and to do something. And, you know, people today can do something about it during this time of year when we're buying presents for for everyone in our family and our friends and having a great time. It's also a really good time to think about people who are less fortunate. And this is such an easy, easy way to uh, donate, to go to roadhome.org, you know, click, pay by PayPal or by credit card and give them a little money. And even if it's a $20 donation, it's greatly appreciated. And, you know, 89% of people's donations go to programs and services. That's a really high um, amount. It's not going to things that are not important. It's going right to the services and programs that help the people who are struggling with homelessness. So I am just so pleased and impressed to be uh, a small part of that organization. You can donate right now, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or donate online at theroadhome.org. The Road Home serve nearly 2,000 children. They are a big part of the homeless population. You can help those kids right now at 801-819-7300. Rhonda, thank you. Thank you so much.